Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome on to a Monday night edition of the pod. Going to get to Bucks Pacers here. That'll be first. Then we're going to talk a little Blazers Lakers. And then we got some news to get to. Some more stuff coming down about a potential solution that the NBA would be involved in for young players, both in high school and then uh, during what would normally have been their one and done year. And a bunch of other news around the league catch up to as well. And we'll also give you a little sneak preview of our Patreon mailbag for this month month which we're doing uh give you an idea of uh what you get as a subscriber so let's get started with this pacers bucks game it was a 92 89 pacer win and i think we can start right away with just some of the fireworks at the end of the game danny yeah i mean this was a game like many right now and we're still more than a month away from the end season with massive significance for both teams and you don't often see a game like that have a jump ball that is actually decisive with six seconds to go and there was a lot of just weirdness before that so i mean you don't want to really start with that but i think it just gives people a sense if they didn't watch this game because it was on league pass of where like where this kind of game was and i think what was what was weird for me down the stretch was up until the final minute and a half i kept thinking the pacers were going to go ahead by eight and just salt it away i thought they were they were playing better over that last like six seven minutes but they just had a couple of missions shots and then they had a couple of weird turnovers especially actually the worst turnover was once the game was already close again and so they they couldn't get over the hump until they ended up winning anyway yeah it it was pretty remarkable and we could set the scene with that jump ball at the end the uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the the end of the game as well but i thought this jump ball is interesting had some thoughts on it Uh, the pacers after Giannis missed a very tough fadeaway on the right baseline there's about a six second differential the pacers try to go the bucks defense which was awesome down the end of the game with Giannis at center uh with the length that they showed finally taking their centers out of the game uh gets a steal and Chris Middleton breaks on the ball fantastically looks like he's gonna go in because they're only down one for the layup Bogdan Bogdanovich gets back and the combination of he and Joseph is able to strip Chris Middleton but we had a much better idea of what happened than the referees did on that play yeah it goes back to a couple of different ideas one of them that I've had is having a fourth official that's basically just watching the TV feed because ruling it a jump ball, I understand why they do that as a device because then it doesn't create an, a presumption yeah, either way um, for, the for the whose replay. ball it yeah, is. For the replay. For the replay. I, I get that idea, but it does allow them an out to make a decision and choosing a jump ball versus choosing it out on either side is a big distinction. I mean, e- either way, just in terms of the, the randomness of it and it ended up, you know, it was basically a loose ball in that in often in those circumstances. And one of the other weird 
weird mistakes they made on it was who was on the jump ball was incorrect. I mean, Bogdanovich is the one who made the strip. Corey Joseph never touched the ball. So I don't understand why they said, oh, you, Corey Joseph, you who never touched the ball, but was just nearby. The jump ball is with you, though it worked out well for the Pacers because Bogdanovich, the guy who should have been doing the jump ball, was available for the rebound. And even though Middleton got the tip, he basically tipped it to where Bogdanovich was and Bogdanovich took the ball and then made the free throws. Yeah, before we get to that jump ball, I'm going to have some advice for uh, for NBA players on jump ball. I, I'm full of I'm full of advice on these you know intentional missed free throw situations. By the way, we, we posted the video of our call of those intentional missed free throws or intention unintentionally made free throw in one of the cases by Kyrie in that Rockets game, which was, was pretty funny. I posted that uh, on Twitter at Nate Duncan NBA. Thanks to Ben Dull for doing that. It's a, kind of amusing if you know, check that out. Get an idea if you're not a Twitter NBA show watcher yet. Uh, what you're missing about a 40 second clip but this is why a fourth official is needed there was just absolutely no way that billy kennedy and any of the other refs could get in position they were all 20 to 25 feet behind the play because middleton broke on the ball so quickly there's no way refs are able to keep up with nba players and to make the call middle you know to see whether there was a foul to see whether there was a stripping middleton's body was between all the referees and the ball so they just had no idea to be able to see anything and you have to have a referee who at least was even with the play to be able to see whether a foul occurred or not and there's just no physical way for a referee to get in a position and so there are a lot of these transition plays where you just i mean it's embarrassing to just have a referee who cannot be in position to make a call and just has to do a jump ball and then even the replay review the camera angle was not conclusive enough to make a call because it looked like there was the strip and then middleton attempted to swipe back up and grab the ball after it had been stripped from him and there was just no way to tell on the replay whether in fact he made contact or not the spin of the ball didn't change at all and because the camera was coming from the baseline angle they didn't have the depth of field to see whether Middleton actually made contact or not you would have had to have something from the side and and that angle apparently did not exist so the jump ball was the right call but it's something that I think the league needs to to come up with a solution for I'm surprised we didn't talk about the turnover itself I thought it was a a pretty awful pass in the situation for Oladipo and it was was slow enough where it wasn't going to even if it caught them a little bit off guard Middleton had the time to react to it and get to the ball before it got to I think that was Corey Joseph that it was that he was intending to pass it to I'm trying to remember yeah it, it was a nightmare game for Oladipo finishing 5 of 19 from the field 14 points and 10 turnover in this game for him 10 of the Pacers 14 turnovers which is astounding now generally I'm not as harsh on players when they have a a lot of turnovers but the team doesn't have very many because that means a lot of times that they're creating so much that you know it, they have a, they're making those turnovers in with a large number of opportunities and they're also just forced into making the higher risk plays you know when the clock is late or whatever uh but no they, they really caused problems for him especially once they went with Giannis uh, at center I believe Illadipo had two turnovers one they just sprung a trap on him with Giannis uh, on a pick and roll out near half court and he had nothing to do there uh and then yeah forced the trap right yeah and and then the, that turnover at the end which is i mean that's the one thing that you just absolutely cannot do I and mean, you really need to just run the time down and, or and get a shot or just make sure you throw a safe pass because giving up a what could have been a pick six it was outstanding hustle from joseph and bogdanovich to get back into the play on middleton to save the game for him and then on the jump ball there's a few things here number one if you're on a jump ball and Corey joseph and boy boyan did an amazing job of this 
just foul like crazy if it's a critical jump ball late in the game because if both teams are in the bonus there's no way the referees are going to want to call a foul that then is going to be free throws a loose ball foul so you can really just get away with murder and that's what happened joseph pulled middleton's arm down he still got the tip but didn't get as much onto the tip as he wanted to and then bogdanovich first of all you see this a lot where the way the geometry just has to work on a jump ball there's always going to be a space where each player can tip it where you have two of your own guys standing next to each other but if you're one of those guys you need to carve that space out before it goes up like and not let yourself just get kind of squeezed together and that's what happened with bloodstone bogdanovich even before the tip even occurred you know they're not they weren't all at 90 degree angles there was really only about you know maybe like a 70 degree angle for middleton to tip the ball into and then as soon as it went up bogdanovich knowing exactly where the ball was going to go just shoved eric bledsoe who wasn't strong enough to to deal with him which is surprising bledsoe is a pretty strong guy but uh he also was going to actually try and get the ball and bogdanovich did a great job just forcing his way in front and then they had no choice uh, but to follow him he made two free throws and then the bucks had a three to get at the end but i mean really that's what i have to say about jump balls it's just you know it's not something that nba teams practice a lot of i think about this stupid shit all the time so uh, but it's maybe one thing that as a coaching staff you could just spend five minutes on in training camp and just hope your players at least remember it well enough that if there's a timeout you can mention it to them one other thing i thought of during this game and just went back and verified it was this is the second time this year that the pacers had a just catastrophic turnover when they were ahead late this time it worked out for them because they got back on middleton the other one i remember because i was sitting in staples center watching it was when they were playing the celtics and they had the ball up one and they were trying to run out basically run out the clock and the celtics got that steal i think it was terry rosier and he dunked it before time expired and that was a game that they should have won they were ahead by one with like six seconds to go and they lost it and those games can matter but this is a big three-game sequence that just happened for the pacers so they beat milwaukee in milwaukee i think it was friday last week then on sunday yesterday they beat the wizards and then they got the back-to-back and and got the bucks and so they in that span of about four days really solidified their playoff position in terms of making it in also you have the pistons getting worked by cleveland and all these other things and also you know getting getting more solidified because even though it's not as dramatic as the western conference you don't want to be a bottom seed in the east either no absolutely not i mean there's seems to be a big difference with the the top three in the east right now and for the pacers this was a big win they're now projected to be two games ahead of the bucks when it's all said and done they lead them by three games right now in the standings and so you imagine it's going to be difficult for the bucks to catch the pacers and while we might get bucks celtics or bucks raptors i mean this is a bucks team that had designs and they could still get back into it you know it's not like the wizards or pacers or even the sixers um who have an easy schedule but you know they don't have those wins banked yet uh you know they're pretty close to tied with the buck um right now so anybody getting hot or failing to meet expectations could change a ton in that three to eight range in the east and with the pistons lost tonight they're really totally out of it four percent chance of making the playoffs they're projected to finish six games behind the heat uh, and the hornets 15 percent chance five games behind the heat so it really is unless something absolutely drastic happens uh gonna be an eight team race here and it's just a battle for seeding in the eastern conference and especially you know we could get to the point now where the hornets and pistons begin to start trying to tank a little bit themselves get below the lakers it's hard to imagine that they'll be any different than 
or any better than the teams in the west playoff race right now who aren't going to make it those two teams will be ahead of them because they're gonna be trying until the end um anything you want to see yeah, i want to make one yeah. one small point and then i want to talk a little bit about the game itself but you know my biggest nerdery thing in the nba is pick protection and we are on the precipice of a really fascinating oh, one with yeah. this because the structure of the bucks Suns obligation is that phoenix gets the pick if it is 11 through 16 oftentimes you see lottery protection or something like that but 16 what that means is if the bucks finish with one of the two worst records of a team that actually makes the playoffs they still lose the pick right now the projections are that they would finish with one of the two worst records depending on how optimistic you are about a this draft class and b how good the bucks will be next year that could be a good or a bad thing but it is significant for phoenix in terms of their cap sheet in terms of how they're thinking about their team and it's not binding yet so it's just it's something to watch it will not remotely affect the way that the bucks manage this though incidentally you could see it if they wanted to avoid cleveland where they tanked into it like they maybe lost the game at the end of the season to keep to to get the better spot and yeah. lose the pick yeah that's it's uh, entirely possible that could happen that could be a thing it could be and so you have that but there's a lot of substance that we should talk about with this game and i think the place to start you've mentioned it a couple times but it it requires talking about a little bit more was the bucks going at the end of this game i thought they broadly got played outplayed starters versus starters which is surprising considering oladipo's struggles in this game but once they put Giannis in its center they started defending and and just preventing indiana from getting good shots at that that even even if in isolation that middleton defensive play on thaddeus young where if they had gotten a bucket there they would have gone up three that was huge but just doing a nice job there and forcing turnovers which is those are the two hallmarks of a good defense yeah and it was in marked contrast to the meat of the game in which the bucks centers really got worked defensively the bucks offense though continues to concern this has not been a fantastic pacers defense this game was an absolute rock fight both teams are on a point per possession which you don't see as much of anymore throughout most of it and especially both teams really killed each other in transition uh the pacers off of bucks turnovers were that's what fueled most of their runs and then the bucks especially in the first half it got out in transition against the pacers and when both teams were in the half court it, it was a struggle but the bucks offense i mean you see this against nearly all of their opponents so many of their possession devolve into a lot of times either Giannis or Middleton or Bledsoe trying to drive either from the wing or the top of the key the nearest defender one pass away gapping off whoever is being they're guarding trying to drive activate that defender but not really drawing two guys but also not really having anywhere to go passing it to the next guy with no advantage gained and then the other guy tries to do the same thing and the the space the Bucks have some guys who can be effective but the spacing just really is not there for them when you're playing with Giannis and another center on the floor it can be tough Middleton does not really space out to three he's also shooting only 34 percent from three this year and and we've long quibbled with him not getting enough attempts up from downtown and so they're just there isn't the spacing on this team and there isn't quite the imagination or the flow to take advantage of that in the half court and what that leads to a lot of times is especially at the end of games we've seen this down the end of, of a lot of their recent ones Giannis just having to try to create a mid-range jumper and he really has not been effective with those this one he missed a free throw that could have tied it uh and then after he drove to the rim or, or dove to the rim i should say uh with just under a minute left and then he missed a tough baseline fadeaway out of the post and like he'll try and post up there's not enough space again for him to really work his guy into the post and get in the lane and, and really do a power move or a hook shot he's got to end up just shooting over these guys and he's got the size advantage if he could ever make that shot it 
could be a powerful weapon but it's just not there yet and those are just not good enough shots in the clutch for this buck team and somebody who can help their offensive flow and spacing to a point he looks a little bit more comfortable with his jump shot at moments is jabari parker but jabari brings his own downsides because defensively he is still just awful and broadly speaking well, I mean, there are times that he can still put i mean it's really regressed i mean he, he took some small strides last year but it's really regressed yeah he's one-on-one at the, he's just a complete turnstile right now yeah oh no i was talking about his jump shot has gotten better not his oh, defense. oh okay my bad yeah <laughs> no yeah no his, his defense hasn't gotten better and he can get beat by guys who should not beat him and he, jabari isn't you know an elite athlete in that sense but when you see like some bonus get by him or some of these other guys you're just sitting there going like how is this happening so frequently with him and i'm not willing to write it all the way off yet but it's getting closer and that creates seams in the defense they can still defend well with him on the floor just because they have a lot of other capable guys but you but especially if we're talking about what they could be in the playoffs because we're treating milwaukee as a playoff team this year because they're going to make it that will be an issue like who's going to be their fifth guy is it going to be a center is it going to be jabari parker heaven forbid is it going to be both and he can he can answer that question for them by be working a little harder by being a little bit better defensively but he hasn't been yeah the help defense also is not great he has this amazing ability that whenever he goes for a strip or goes for a block shot he somehow managed to manages to end the play you know five feet away from the guy that he was guarding when he began that attempt uh and really just when his defensive fundamentals you know mike schmitz would say that he really opens up his hips a lot uh is able to get blown by and then despite being you know 250 pounds guys just kind of go right through him uh and you know he doesn't really have that aspect of, of playing strong and being a deterrent in that way either so uh, he, he might be an example of you know ben falk who is arguing to that we should end the fallout i happen to disagree with him overall but this is a point in his direction where guys like jabari it's just like they just learned to kind of look like they're playing defense and not foul uh, so they could still uh, stay in the game um for the pacers who we haven't talked about uh, as much here uh boyan has been on fire i think he's had 20 points in half of like his last 13 or 14 games had five three-pointers in this one he is really locked in from downtown we talked about their contract situations and whether they would guarantee him for next year or not i think you know a lot of how well they play going down the end and in the playoffs it could determine part of that also but and then he was just absolute ice in his veins on those free throws at the end as well and he, he's avoided getting killed defensively this year the pacers have not been a great defense but you know, he's been asked a lot of times to even guard some of the best players on the other team uh, and he's done a reasonable job of that and then thaddeus young I, I thought played a pretty good game against Giannis. he's one of the better matchup that you can have against him from a, a size standpoint as a combo forward Something else I wanted to bring up, and I'll probably compile full stats for this for the 15 and 60 on Sunday, but when I watch the Pacers during this span, what I've been noticing is just how much they miss Darren Carlson, and that's on yeah. both fronts. So offensively, he can he's a more capable and comfortable shooter, and he can do that, but also not having Corey Joseph on the second unit. You know, now they're playing Joe Young more. They don't have the depth in case one or both of those, like in case one of those guys gets in foul trouble or they're not, you know, they turn an ankle or something like that. And 
yes, they were able to win this game and they defended and they, they not only did they force 14 turnovers, sorry, 16 turnovers, 13 of those 16 turnovers were live ball and that really goosed yeah. Indiana's offense. But so you think about if they didn't have that, like they're, they're half court, they just didn't have, they didn't have the juice in a lot of this game. They were able to win and that's great that they were able to win without, without him. And they, as I said, they've won the last three in a row, but they need him to be competitive against teams once we get into this, but he should be back by then. So I'm not super concerned. Yeah, you mentioned those live ball turnovers. Uh, the Pacers added 6.2 points per cleaning the glass above average, uh, which was 95th percentile uh, in this one uh, off of those steals. They really were running it down the buck throats and there were some absolutely brutal turnovers. Uh, Eric Bledsoe was the big scorer here for the Bucks, led them in shot attempts, uh, 10 out of 22. Middleton really struggled six points uh, on one out of seven. Uh, Bledsoe does miss some passes. I mean, there was one side pick and roll early in the third quarter where he gets in he comes off gets into the lane and tony snell was on the opposite wing his man was all the way into the nail uh, middle of the free throw line just snell was wide open and bledsoe just never saw him and then ended up taking a brutal contested three at the end of the possession so bledsoe i mean remember going back years that he played shooting guard at kentucky on that team with john wall and the discussion was he's not a natural point guard and he's had to work at that but he definitely missed some passes in this one i really appreciated the objectivity of the pacers broadcast in this game especially in contrast to some of the others we've seen that okc portland game was absolutely brutal in terms of okc i usually try to avoid them there are plenty of broadcasts that just cannot be objective about things like refereeing and when you know certainly when he feels like a bad a missed call goes against the pacers they'll, they'll say it but you know when victor oladipo double dribbled he's like yeah that's a double dribble he just says it uh lance stevenson had this ridiculous play that's gonna at least get him a fine you'd have to imagine uh he just tripped john henson when he was running down the court Henson wasn't even close to being involved in any kind of a play at all he was well behind the ball and he just tripped him as he ran by Henson supposedly given him a shove earlier but that's obviously you know just tripping a guy is beyond that so Stevenson may be hearing from the league office but the Pacers broadcast actually saw it and showed it coming out of a uh, commercial which I don't think a lot of broadcasts would necessarily do so I, I appreciate that I've uh, they're not one that gets talked about a lot but I actually usually when they're on it uh, unless it's just some of the absolute top crews i like to do pacers broadcast all right we'll move on here but first this from the toothbrush that i use quip two things to say about quip number one if you're not using an electric toothbrush at all you need to number two if you're using another electric toothbrush quip is both more economical easier to use smaller and in my opinion it does a better job than other electric toothbrushes if you're not using an electric toothbrush maybe you're one of these people who just works incredibly hard and brushes for two full minutes and has a perfect brush all the time make sure you get every single portion of your mouth but why put yourself through that and if you're not willing to do that with a conventional brush you're going to get what my sister calls sweater teeth which is when it feels like your teeth are wearing a sweater of plaque you can actually feel the plaque on your teeth no longer when you use a quip toothbrush it's a slimmer design it's a fraction of the cost of traditional electric brushes you don't ever have to charge it because it just uses a AAA battery that lasts for about three months and then you can join their subscription plan they'll send you another brush head and another battery so it's all just plug and play extremely easy to use it was named one of time magazine's best inventions of the year for that reason their subscription plan is only five dollars every three months and it has a timer that makes sure that you brush for the full two minutes every 30 seconds you get a pulse to remind you to go to a different quadrant of your mouth it really just revolutionizes brushing your teeth the way to get started with them get quip.com slash capspace that'll get you your first refill pack free and quip starts at just 25 dollars. so it really is just so much less expensive than conventional electric toothbrushes 
there's no reason for them to be that expensive you could take it with you on the go as well those conventional electric toothbrushes really are kind of too big to do that and you have to bring the charger with you if you're going to be gone for any amount of time don't do that with quip once again get quip.com slash cap space easy to remember that url we talk about cap space all the time in the program get quip.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us let's get to lakers portland now this was awesome we picked a prescient time to say or at least i did i don't know if you agreed with me that damian lord was playing at an mvp level over his past 20 games uh because he basically single-handedly won this game for the blazers in the fourth quarter what eventually became a 108 103 portland victory i was very impressed with the lakers throughout this game i think that the way that they came back after they got in an an early deficit i think portland went up like eight and they came back and they had this lead and it never felt totally safe and the reason it never felt totally safe was because of damian lillard and then he scored 14 consecutive points for the blazers not overall i think it was close to it was it was a big run but it wasn't a 14-0 run and 19 in the fourth quarter in just eight and a half minutes and some of that was exploiting defensive mistakes but a lot of it was just damian lillard i mean that one three he took from god what was that like 29 feet that one that was just he he's incredible yeah so they trailed 97 86 with 526 remaining dame assisted cj on a three got fouled and then proceeded to make four straight three-point shots a 28 footer a 28 foot step back another 28 footer coming off a dribble handoff out of the corner i mean the footwork on that was absolutely preposterous and then he made another three uh off a shabazz napier assist then continued to get into the lane and get fouled or set guys up at the end he missed a few free throws that made it closer than it should have been at the end but it was really just that takeover those four straight threes uh and the cj3 as well i mean that was just and it was all him i mean and and it's been all him uh for this blazers team which you know we talked about the stats yesterday coming into tonight 111 offensive rating with him on the court over the last 20 games and when you consider the dearth of offensive talent that they have on this team it's truly truly incredible uh to reach those kind of numbers for the season he has a 65.2 percent true shooting in clutch situations 33 usage isn't crazy high but i'm going to pull up the numbers while we're talking about this for the last 15 to 20 games because it's been incredible and there are some parallels to what russell westbrook did last year i mean we we argued that in the in the clutch and i would say it's more sustainable for lillard than it was for russell westbrook but the idea for mvp was basically it's value added whether or not it's repeatable it's value added and he has been spectacular and i mean in this game it turned a loss to a win and it could really matter for them i mean these teams are all super bunched up the lakers played very well over on this game despite not having brandon ingram a lot of things i want to talk about with it but lillard swung that margin from being you know it was 11 point game with five and a half minutes to go to a win with i think one other shot made by somebody other somebody else on his team and the lakers had done a pretty good job on him and cj lonzo i thought played pretty well defensively at the end i think you know lillard just got too hot to handle um we saw that lonzo on those last two isolations where lillard blew to the basket and the blazers ended up missing layups but getting the offensive rebound in the last minute and the lakers were ending ended up being forced to foul until lillard missed two free throws and they still actually had a chance to tie but lonzo was trying to 
force him to his right i think you got to do that with lord because going to his left he'll push off with that right leg usually your right leg is stronger and he is just so explosive attacking to his left and then he's more comfortable shooting the step back going to his left as well if by some miracle you cut him off now going to his right he's very effective too he's got one of the better step backs going to his strong hand which is actually a harder side to step back to in the nba but it's not the same as when he goes left and so the first time lonzo tried to force him to his right into the help that didn't work he was just too fast he blew past him and it's really hard to direct a guy without just like giving up a straight lane to the basket when he can shoot from so deep and you got to press up on him i mean even if he just you know takes a couple dribbles to his left like you can go laterally create the separation that way and then blow to the basket there's no way to fall back and kind of get back in front when you're starting off having to pressure that far away from the basket and it was just really really been enjoying damian lillard one of my absolute favorite players to watch in the nba let's talk a little bit about the lakers though i thought probably the most encouraging thing about this game for him you mentioned the absence of brandon ingram they're playing some funky lineups it was the play of julius randall especially in that third quarter when he almost fouled out the entire blazers team the lakers got into the bonus with i believe it was 858 remaining in the third quarter yeah. and while I, the I lakers are not six, a spectacular uh, 2012 flashback by that point <laughs> although although these were all legitimate fouls and, to my mind i mean they, like they were just oh I absolutely mean, and you know the blazers uh have a rather foul prone big man rotation with myers leonard and zach collins and nurkic uh, all those guys uh but i, I definitely still the, the number of free throws i was like man this is uh this is reminiscent and while the lakers are not the greatest free throw shooting team they were 24 31 in this game and i and that's i believe stronger than they are for the season i would have to go back and check it but they earned it they earned it getting there and randall at his best at his most engaged his combination of physical skills is really impressive and it is hard to contain i mean the jump shot is limited and probably will be for a while but he's so powerful that if you can't really stop him initially he's going to get some rhythm he's going to get there and if you freak out when he does then he's either he's going to get fouled or you know maybe maybe he gets a, a good shot at the basket something like that and this was not a circumstance to me like in the miami game when i got frustrated that it's didn't seem like Hassan Whiteside knew the scouting report on him about the Randall's one-handedness. This seemed more like he was just beasting Portland's guys consistently. Yeah, he is. And Zach Lowe had this stat a few days ago that he's shooting, I believe, under 20% outside the paint, but certainly on like jumpers outside of 15 feet, something like something like that. And so the jumper, if anything, has regressed. That was what everyone's been pointing to as having to advance. But the way the Lakers have it set up now, this is it's coming to fruition now, something we talked about in the offseason season when randall projected as the starting power forward we didn't see that from him early and then he going into the starting lap is brooke lopez really has been more the guy to space the floor and so randall he's too quick for a lot of true centers even too strong for a lot of true centers uh and yeah you know you can back off of him that's fine and, and what used to happen with him he's improved his finishing and his strength even more now what used to happen to him was you'd kind of back off him he'd go into guys and he wasn't really able to finish at the rim that well over contest but now he's gotten so strong he's able to avoid committing the offensive fouls that he just knocks guys back like there was a play where i forget who it was drove the baseline found him under the rim and yusuf nurkic came over to help nurkic weighs 280 and he's chesting up i mean most guys if you got a body on you like that like you just can't go up with any kind of strength and randall just shouldered him out of the way and he didn't dunk it but he only just laid it in pretty easily and that's the type of play he's been able to make and so if he does that to nurkic you can imagine you know this the power that he was using to go past guys like leonard 
or Zach Collins who really just try to get in front of him but if you try to get in front of him and you can't and he gets a shoulder by you you're going to commit the foul and he's going to just go right through you anyway Alonzo Ball had a, a rough night shooting at the beginning of the game I think he started one for four or one for five but he did hit a couple of big threes late some echoes of that game against San Antonio though he shot better much better in in the context of that actual game and I thought for the first three quarters he did a solid enough job defensively this wasn't his best performance but Damian Lillard's going to make guys look bad but then in the fourth for the most part there was one play where he lost him late I think he was just thinking about helping and it was like three or four seconds left when Napier just threw the ball to Lillard but for the most part I thought Lonzo did a pretty good job yeah he did and and I thought it was interesting you'll recall that down the end of that game against San Antonio I mean they had Travis Ware in the game but they had Lonzo running the show and and Lonzo hit a couple of big step backs going to his left against a drop coverage similar to what the Blazers play Blazer uh, and here they had Isaiah in he was running the show and this was a throwback to Cleveland type of game for Isaiah five out of 21 one of nine from three did go eight of nine from the free throw I thought the Lakers shot under 30 percent from 311 out of 37 and missed a ton of wide open ones that really uh, could have caused problems uh, for the Blazers broken the game open when you know the Lakers had a 10 point lead for about 12 minutes of this game from mid third to mid fourth and just missed a lot of threes during that period uh, but it, it was a struggle for Isaiah but they had the ball in Isaiah's hands they went to Caldwell Pope a little bit wasn't really Lonzo running much pick and roll he only really he had a couple of chances there where they switched it he threw a great pass to Brooke Lopez they had to help and then Randall got a dunk late but other than that it wasn't really Lonzo they also ran a screen for him coming off the ball to the corner an old Golden State play called fist up where a pick and roll and a floppy type of screen uh shouldn't say floppy because that would mean there's screens on either side but uh, a down screen to the corner occur simultaneously uh that's Golden State always runs it at the end of quarters they ran that for Lonzo and he just he got wide open just couldn't hit the three um but his three ball does look better the concern that I have I tweeted this during the game was and, and he had three free throws at one point and, and was just two of them were just totally broke like barely even hitting the rim like because they were off to the side if he doesn't become a better free throw shooter there is no history really of guys shooting below 65 percent from the line who have become plus shooters especially at the guard it is definitely a concern and the three it does look better and it that is huge it's essential for him at, at this point to to at least become consistent there i mean the, the better he gets the more valuable it is and i like him more still even though he has he's had some better pull-up ones recently i still like him a lot better as a catch-and-shoot guy than a pull-up guy but he's going to have to you know he's going to have to reach that because also we see this a lot with guys and i think this has been part of what has helped drummond and they're they're in different places Lonzo ball and drummond who all came into the league incredibly young but i feel like his struggles at the free throw line are affecting a little bit his aggressiveness he's also not great at getting in the basket anyway that wasn't something something that was really and ucla they had way better spacing than this lakers team does and he still wasn't spectacular there but just to break in quickly the two two pointers that he took one was a drive where he just kind of flew threw up a finish over nurkic and then he tried to get a tip in right after that that after his his own missed layup those are the only two two pointers i think he took in this game and for the season he's only taken about 30 percent of his shots at the rim and those shots have gone in less than 50 percent of the time so and when you a low free throw rate you just need that as a base to your offense not only for you but for the rest of your team they got into the bonus here and actually that ties in with something i wanted to talk about which we didn't we talked about how the lakers got into the bonus early in that third quarter but also portland's offense looked abysmal there they just couldn't get good shots they weren't even making the ones that they did get and that 15 points in the quarter sure part of it was just being disjointed because of the foul trouble but also it it showed some real 
concerns about where they're going to get their offense from if there are stretches where Lillard and McCollum aren't hitting shots because, you know, Aminu struggled some from the field. Evan Turner wasn't dominant in this game. Yeah. Napier well, had a couple moments, but not very much. Evan Turner, with Mo Harkless out, still only played 23 minutes, and they closed the game with Lillard, McCollum, and Shabazz Napier, who was almost out of the league before he came to Portland. I mean, that's just, it just shows you like how, what a disaster that Turner signing was that even if his primary competition for playing time is out he's still not playing and, and they're going with two big lineups uh, as well you know that really don't work that well but they decided hey we'd rather play two bigs than play uh, Evan Turner and, and Aminu together we could also make an argument, I mean, because Napier's had a nice year. Connaughton played yeah. 18 minutes in this game. You know, like just the the fact that those guys are, are getting close to it. And yes, they have had better years than we've expected. But Evan Turner, high profile signing, you know, the, the, the gambit of spending a lot of money that year and basically just hoping it worked out. Like, yeah, it was use it or lose it in that sense. But the downside, especially considering that was the, really the extent of the cap prize, was that they had to go through it. And, and this year, remember, they had the mid-level exception didn't use it this year partially because probably because of tax concerns and they probably couldn't have gotten a, a good wing for that because wings were so so in demand and, and will be for as far as i can look into the future but when you when you make a bet and you lose especially at that position even if you're paul allen it still hurts couple more things here before we talk briefly about some things at the end of the game kcp played 41 minutes he was closing uh, at the three was plus 10 had the three ball working at, at three out of five they off the bench now and they're very limited with some of the injuries that they have with ingram out in particular and they've now bought bought out cory brewer who you know wasn't really helping them i think that's fine to move on from him uh but travis Ware played 60 minutes and, and if you're trying to actually win games i mean how is lou all dang like not active like he, he's better than Travis Ware I mean Travis Ware basically single-handedly you know he's a guy who's played hard but he's a 27 year old stretch four who doesn't rebound and can't really move his feet well enough to switch and he just got cooked uh, by Lillard uh, to kind of let the Blazers get their offensive footing again late in the third quarter like Luol Deng can't do a better job than him like why not just activate the guy and play him and see how he looks I mean every little bit that he can play maybe he at least can you know make you a little bit of money if you end up waving him or buying him out uh, or stretching him in the future if nothing else and you know do right by this guy that you've just been sitting on the bench the whole time maybe there's an agreement between them that he's not going to play or something but you have to imagine even he would be better than some of what they're throwing out there unless he got hurt it's not like it could diminish his value at this point i mean you're sitting there i had that remember that idea at the beginning of the year of oh you know maybe you could trade him for one of those disastrous contracts like miles Plumley. you know ben dang makes more money than Plumley does and so you could get off some and then maybe stretch stretch right. miles Plumley, and that and that's right now the hawks don't do that deal they don't even come close to it and anything unless you have an agreement that makes that more palatable to a team is something that they should consider especially now when everything is pulling the same direction if you have young players like josh hart that you want to play by yeah. all means absolutely do that but josh hart yeah, is out i mean maybe even the blazers you know for like it's a, a minor zone. i mean i don't think the hawks are interested in in anybody who's going to be any better especially a veteran but you know if he could rehab his value a little bit maybe you know you trade 
right into the Blazers for a Myers Leonard and maybe one other small contract to so you know you're basically it's kind of one of those contracts where you know you make them into a five million dollar player by taking back the bad salaries but we'll see what ends up happening um we've got actually another good Lakers question on that little mailbag pre we're going to do tonight as well about their summer that we can get to um the last thing I want to say about the end of the game KCP under two minutes left tries to draw a foul his defender takes his hand back he just throws it up it goes in and out anyways momentum carries him towards the basket Yusuf Nurkic gets the rebound and then KCP when they're in the bonus commits the over the backbreaker in frustration because he didn't get the call I mean that ended up just costing them two Nurkic free throws and, and was just a really really bad play and KCP does play hard I think he's been really important to their defense this year I mean if you compare him to the guy who replaced D'Angelo Russell uh certainly uh, is a massive upgrade there but KCP also does have these brain farts on occasion some ugly shot selection on occasion so you understand why the Lakers fans have some frustration as well and this is an ample I will be back uh gotta catch up on some news here but first this uh, from our friends at SeatGeek there's nothing like seeing your favorite team or musician or comedy or anything that provides tickets going to event in person it needs to be done sometimes TV is great but the in-person experience is really the best Danny and I have both used SeatGeek recently I got tickets to a game in Milwaukee with my fiance got a great deal on some fourth row tickets it was like 100 bucks each pretty good Danny was able to get tickets to the Barry Bonds is it the Jersey retirement sir ceremony yeah the, the baseball number retirement I don't know exactly what the terminology <laughs> is but yeah I mean it was it was a it was a rapid fire decision because they announced it and it had been you know the tickets had been for sale and my ticket buying brain because that's what I used to do said oh my god I should try to buy tickets before they get really expensive either as an investment or to go and I'm planning on going and so by doing that you have to move I had to move within basically five minutes to go through all the purchasing stuff and so ran to SeatGeek had to trust the algorithm though it's a, a stadium that I know well and I'm thrilled with what I ended up with and a lot of my friends had the same idea but because they it was just a little bit slower they weren't able to get deals before everything spiked yeah SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you and then they have that deal score technology that grades every ticket based on value so you you know you can just pick whatever they rank as the best value in whatever section you want to sit in and trust that it, that they're saving you time without you having to go through every single ticket that's in there if you haven't used SeatGeek before you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase using our familiar cap space code easy to remember we talk about cap space all the time in the program that's promo code cap space for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase all right news time here let's start with the Cavs Tristan Thompson these are the ones that just kill me and why I believe that you need some sort of medical personnel watching the tv feed tristan thompson steps on a, on a nugget player's foot last night sprains his ankle kept playing and then the ankle swells up significantly overnight and oh by the way now he's out for two weeks uh per tyron Lou uh, on monday night and the medical staff you have to just see hey you know what this thing got rolled really badly and we got to take him out of the game because yeah okay maybe you might be able to play but continuing to play on it is just going to cause it to swell up more i mean that's not always the case there are certain guys like a dirk Nowitzki or a lebron where i don't think it's really the case you know the, those guys know their bodies they sprain their ankles so many times they've come back from it so many times but especially if it's a guy who doesn't sprain his ankle a lot uh, and isn't really familiar with it i think you have to just step in and say hey you know what like we're gonna take you out precautionarily so that you don't end up missing multiple games because you and who knows maybe it would have happened anyway but i know it didn't help to continue to play on it that's true what that led to on monday night was larry nance starting in his place nance was impressive in a game that the Cavs won going away against the Pistons 22 points 15 rebounds two steals 9 of 15 shooting and it's very possible at least in the near term 
that this leads to Nance becoming the de facto starting center. It all will get garbled up when Kevin Love gets back because that's the way this works. But you could very well see Larry Nance starting after that because if they want to go with the approach of kind of two bigs, they can do that. In this game, they actually started LeBron at the four, JR and Rodney Hood together. Hood had started in JR Smith's absence due to the soup extravaganza. Yeah, we, we found out that that's what it was. He apparently threw soup at Damon Jones, the Cavs assistant coach. No idea what the dispute was over. Who among us hasn't thrown soup at Damon Jones? And, and that's not even the only Cavs news because uh, Jeff Green has now missed three of their last four games with back soreness. And while the additions that they made at the deadline have deepened their rotation enough that I don't think he needs to be a part of their playoff rotation, having the depth, especially in the regular season, is certainly helpful. And if this is a recurring thing, that becomes a big problem for them. Yeah, we'll see. I I think that's part of why they brought Jetty Osmond to the bench so he could come off the bench in Green's role. They, they also went with Ante Zizic, who uh, probably had the best game of his young career today. We'll see. You know, Green is having a, a better season than expected. I have this slight feeling that they're not actually going to miss him that much. Uh, so uh, let's, we'll just wait and see. And perhaps part of why he hasn't played as well is due to this back soreness. But it sounds like it's going to be a chronic issue here. Speaking of uh, soreness, Kyrie Irving could miss up to a week. Eh, you know, I guess they're okay without him against the Bulls tonight when they surged to a 24 to 5 lead. Uh, but uh, after that Houston game where he didn't play as well, he apparently had some swelling. He's not going to have an MRI. But worth noting that this is the left knee that he reportedly threatened to get surgery on and just missed the season with the Cavs if he weren't traded. So apparently he's had some issues there. Um, and then for the Lakers, we mentioned that Brandon Ingram didn't play. He got an MRI and that revealed a left groin strain. So he's going to be reevaluated in a week. So he will miss the next uh, three games at a minimum and reevaluated doesn't mean he's going to play. You know, usually they'll have to be some sort of a ramp up period again as well. One thing I want to go back to with the oh, yeah. Kyrie story is that their next two games are at Minnesota and hosting the Pacers, both of whom they could really use him. And this gets to the idea that while they are still close in terms of record right now, the Celtics are actually three games behind the Raptors in the loss column and tied in the win column, that if they lose one or two of those games, Toronto's going to get a more firm grasp on the number one seed. I don't think that's devastating for Boston unless the wrong team gets the seven, but that could have these cascading effects. If the Raptors get a little bit of a lead, maybe they can rest their guys a little bit more. And because nobody's particularly close to the Celtics, that could in a weird way be beneficial for them because then they don't have to push it off for the number one seed. They can kind of ease into it and be physically right for the first I mean, round. They're already projected to finish five games behind the Raptors, which is remarkable because the Raptors, they're tied in the win column. The Raptors only have a one and a half game lead on the Celtics. But since the Celtics have already lost three more games than them, you understand where that comes from. The Raptors have been playing much better than the Celtics have. Real quickly, who are you most scared of if you're the Celtics as a potential number seven seed? Milwaukee or Philly. I yeah. think those are probably the two just because they have they have the highest ceilings. Yeah, it, it really and, could be anyone. And really what you're, you're, mo- what you're most scared of is Cleveland getting the three, yeah. but there's well, not I mean, much right they can now, do about that. Sixers are actually projected to finish the yeah. better record than the Cavs, but I, I don't know. I, I, it's uh, with Nance at center. I mean, Thompson just has not been playing that well. I think their starting lineup just was not that good. And, and with Green out, who just, you know, he's been better this year, but generally has been somewhat of a negative player in his career. I, I think the Cavs might actually go on a little bit of a run here. We'll see. I, I haven't looked at their schedule to see whether uh, that prediction is actually a good one or not. But um, this is another interesting one. Brian Windhorst had a story that the NBA is going to try now to engage with high schoolers much earlier and really take on more of a grassroots approach. They want to get involved with the 
elite high school players not sure that what the form of this is going to take but the players association has camps usa basketball has camps i'm not sure whether this is going to be an academy actually he said it's probably not going to be an academy uh situation but silver's aim is to establish a more comprehensive plan than simply just allowing 18 year olds to play in the nba again uh this is supposed to be more mentorship from the nba to provide uh skills to help them on and off the court and open an alternate path to the nba besides playing in college and allow 18 year olds to earn a meaningful salary if you know that's what they feel they and their families need but this will have to be then the subject of collective bargaining but it seems like the players association is willing to consider it since they have taken the position that you know it's better to let players into the league i am a firm supporter in 18 year olds getting in but if they're for whatever reason they're gonna be reluctant on that part of it no matter what i think having more support for young players either that are at an nba level or that could be is vastly important there are a lot of life skills kevin durant actually talked about this a little bit today at at i saw a clip of it of uh, at shoot around or practice or whatever it was about the idea of what players learn being professionals and you could do that argument through the g league or anything else but just the, the idea of having your life be basketball and i think that's one of the elements that can be in this basically wherever they go and also in when we talked about the nbl a couple days ago that can be a benefit there and yes certainly as somebody who went to who went to college like there are benefits there but for these people who the the most the best of the best who know that this is their next step there is a benefit to learning what it's like to be a professional because that is one of the biggest adjustments and i hear this from players i used to ask rookies this all the time late in their first year is the idea of the grind of the nba season and the idea that this is what you do this is your life is very very different and a lot of teams now have staff who try to assist some younger players with that kind of stuff but no specifics really in this from win norris it's good that the nba is moving this direction trying to address these issues although if i mean the nca mark emmert actually said he's open to the idea of the olympic model which we have been or at least i have i forget whether you're on board with it or not but been touting for a while the idea that schools don't pay you but you can get an agent you can get endorsements just like you can in the olympics um so maybe that still would end up being more lucrative than it would be to just turn pro normally because you really have college kids there's just so much money in college basketball you have to imagine some of that would start trickling down uh, even if it's just you know boosters from the school or whether it's hey let's uh wink wink jim bob's car dealership or uh the shoe company that sponsors the school and wants to get more visibility and bang for their buck whatever it'd be very interesting if like some players are getting it so good in college they're just like yeah you know what i don't think i want to go to the pros yet that would really suck if that starts to happen but uh just so many moving parts here let's see what the nba's proposal is i want to throw out one stat this isn't really a news piece but i thought it was interesting from espn stats and info the grizzlies today they lost to the spurs in a surprisingly close game 110 98 in san antonio they became the first team since 2010 to play an nba game with none of the players who actually were on the court having been drafted in the first round they have some of the highest profile successes of second round picks in the last decade plus marcus ol and chandler parsons among them but that's still pretty yeah, striking noted that the last team for whom that was the case was the utah jazz in february of 2010 that was actually a good jazz team darren williams must have been out that day but they had a rookie west matthews on that team carlos boozer who was a second round pick Mehmet okur i think was a second rounder as well and i forget who else they had and oh kyle corver probably was on that team as well maybe he started so he was not a first round pick that's actually a pretty good team with like all second round pick uh and the grizz actually almost won at, at san antonio lost by two uh lamarcus aldridge return didn't look very good it was only two out of eight let's run through a few of these uh quick hitters here kevin durant no surprise here told anthony slater 
100% he will re-sign with the, the Golden State Warriors in the offseason. Uh, if I were him, I wouldn't say that. Just, I mean, I mean, I guess he wants to shut down any of the questions, not that they're legion by any means. But why just take away the potential to leave and like have at least a little bit of leverage over the organization, even if it's only to make them spend more money to bring guys in a, around you? Or if, you know, what if things just totally implode? Or what if, you know, Draymond Green decides to punch him in the face one day or something? Very unlikely that that happens, but it seems to just commit like that in the future he says he feels like he's already on a long-term deal here but you know you never know uh it doesn't really do much good to say that i don't think I mean, you can say as of right now that is my plan or something like that you know um anything on that mr warriors not really i i agree with you in terms of the leverage play but at the same point he has that leverage because he's kevin durant and we'll see we'll see where it goes what duration of contract and what the value is for him is going to be a huge bellwether for the warriors long-term finances they it's not as imp- you know imp- variable in that as clay thompson and draymond green who are both going to be up for new contracts in 2019 and 2020 respectively but it will be important there the next piece of news that i think is is the most important and we alluded to this earlier but having a a clear idea of the timetable nate mcmillan said that darren collison will not be back this week it has been four weeks since the original two to three week timetable and they have been winning games this big three games this big three game push most notable among it but they are going to need him moving forward and just the idea that he's out for another week and we don't really have a timetable beyond that is is concerning considering how long he's already been out i really just don't understand why team why you would ever say a guy is a two to three week timetable with the surgery like this i mean it's like oh well the the fans are gonna like not buy tickets to these games because darren collison is out i mean i can maybe see doing it if it's like some big star and like you want tickets to be sold for three weeks from now but i really don't get it i mean why not just give him a longer time period and then oh hey he came back sooner this is great i mean like why not just set expectations low and then if he beats him everyone's happy instead of like oh something must be going wrong uh but yeah i mean i'm surprised when anyone has knee surgery and comes back in less six uh regardless of how ostensibly minor it is like you're getting your body cut open that that does something to you even even if they just did nothing but stick the arthroscope into him and then just take it right back out you know even that probably is, is going to be something that would cause some some issues for you um in other news reggie jackson still not close he apparently played one-on-one with one of their video guys the other day but he's not close to contact practice it was a light one-on-one so you got to imagine it's a week or two at the i mean probably two weeks at least the minimum for him sam, sam mcgundy said he's not close and with the pistons having lost nine of 11 really in free fall at the moment you have to imagine they will not be rushing him back they could change into tank mode pretty quickly here what else we got a couple couple quick notes from the hawks malcolm delaney had to leave the game against the suns which they won with a sprained ankle he left in a walking boot so isaiah taylor is presumably going to get those minutes Bembry is out with an abdominal strain so they're just limit they're losing some of their guys and it would have been nice to see some of Bembry Delaney's a different situation because Taylor's young as well but they you know the I guess I I I guess you could say that it helps the tank but I don't necessarily think it does at this point considering it's it's not really better than yeah well it's it's gonna look even more ridiculous if they just decide to rest at Dennis Schroeder when he has 21 points in the third quarter uh of a game that they're in theory trying to win when they don't even have any backup point guards at all as they did at the end of that game on sunday i have liked what i've seen from tyler dorsey though he's got to keep an eye on it a little bit with the bulls paul zipser has missed five straight with a left foot injury and not someone we would normally really discuss but he could be important to their tank effort since david nuava is actually like looked like a pretty good player certainly defensively uh and then robin lopez is still remains a healthy scratch the bulls are doing this thing where they're like changing up the starting lineup every five games for developmental purposes but you know this is a complete flouting of the league's 
new resting rules by the Bulls. The hope is just nobody gives a shit. Uh, and, and maybe the league has just thought, you know what, the new lot of rules are coming in next year. They think it might fix it. So it's just not worth like calling a big attention uh, to force the Bulls to play Robin Lopez and, and, and win themselves some game. Uh, but it, it's still pretty great. And, and, and not, and again, you know, this is, it's disgraceful for the league. The Bulls incentive is to lose games. I have no problem with them doing what they're they're doing. It's all of the incentives. And at least the league has tried to change them. I don't think it's really going to work, uh, but we'll see. And Lopez is under contract for next season. So he is not getting his value hurt in that way. And I, I'm guessing teams are going to say, hey, look how unreliable this guy was. He played X number of games the year before. A guy who doesn't have to worry about that for a much longer time, Gordon Hayward. Brad Stevens said that he will not play this season. So Hay watches at least temporarily, but probably for the remainder of the season on hold. It is not a surprise considering the timeline here and the severity of the injury. We would probably have seen something by this point. And so since we really haven't, then it's not surprising. And integrating him with the stakes that Boston believes that they are playing for as the likely two seed in the Eastern Conference, I can understand that that even if he got to that point at some point in the, you know, let's say like two weeks from now, like got to the point where you can start ramping him up. Well, I mean, that puts some other things in jeopardy because that's not 100%. Yeah. If he's not practicing by now, if he's not taking contact by now, I think it's really, there's no way to get him back in time to play at a playoff type of level. With the Rockets, uh, Ryan Anderson has missed now four straight games with hip soreness. They continue to roll right along with him. He's more a guy I think they really need in the regular season. He's having Joe Johnson kind of makes up for what he was giving them. Uh, and the big issue would have just been playing some of their other guys too many minutes. Brandon Wright, who they signed, also has missed four straight now uh, with right knee soreness, but they have plenty of centers. Also, for the Grizz, uh, they signed uh, Xavier Raton Mays, a former high school teammate of Andrew Wiggins, uh, to a 10-day as a wing player. Mark Gasol and Chandler Parsons actually did return today, though, uh, against the Spurs as they almost won, but uh, Andrew Harrison and Mario Chalmers are, are out, and Tyreek Evans remains so. And then in New Orleans, Solomon Hill has practiced. He's not playing on their current three-game trip, but Gentry, at Gentry, Alvin Gentry, their coach, said that the progress he's shown has been encouraging. Uh, all right, you want to do a little preview of uh, our mailbag here for the Patreon subscribers? We'll be right back with that in a second. All right, so welcome on to our Patreon mailbag here for those who are doing at least a couple of these questions as a free preview, give you an idea of one of the things you get for our Patreon. You also, in the offseason, get access to our salary sheets, real-time updating within an hour or two of basically every offseason transaction or trade deadline transaction that occurs anytime there's a big trade we will post this the salary sheets and projections as well it's also a great way to support us with the twitter nba show which we're going to be doing you know certainly multiple times a week during the playoffs that is not actually sponsored right now so it's a great way to help us out with that actually when we're talking for six straight hours and are delirious it's always nice to get the support there uh what else do we do we do danny we started doing danny story time which is me doing audio versions of my pieces and it's more of a director's cut sometimes about why i wrote it how the the process of writing the piece and for some people they actually prefer it that way because then they can listen in a car or something like that and then we've had companion things dylan's done some really nice stuff for us before in the past and we're always open to new suggestions i mean that's one of the things we do early release podcasts when the situation warrants and everything like that so a lot a lot of different benefits there and one of the big ones is the mailbag where the questions typically are asked exclusively by the questions are asked exclusively by patreon subscribers and then typically they're answered exclusively for patreon subscribers yeah uh, are, oh, well, are you gonna and you're gonna from, do an ama from space mountain when you're at disney right maybe not from space mountain but i'll probably do something i'll definitely do airport amas as 
assuming the timing works. I, I love doing those, and I'll I'll do I'll, I'll figure out something fun to do with Disney World if I if I can think of something creative. But we'll start this with uh, the question from Matt Herlicka. I feel like a fun wrinkle to 2018 free agency will be how many restricted free agents exercise their qualifying offers. Could this finally be the year the tactic becomes a bigger part of the offseason? And who are the leading candidates to do this? And a couple pieces that of data that are good to have here. And this is from Eric Pincus. I haven't gone back and done my own qualifying offer calculations yet. I, I do want to do that at some point just because I like doing that. But so the starter criteria number that I have is or from him is 4.7 million so that you'd be taking that on a one-year contract if you qualified for the starter criteria. And then if you did not pass the starter criteria, meaning you were drafted in the top 14 and didn't, then the qualifying offer is 4.14 million or thereabouts. So that's a good proxy for where it is for certain guys. If you were drafted high and you met the starter criteria, you're higher, but that's a good proxy for where it is. And in many ways now, the current cap environment is a throwback to the way things were under the old CBA, the the 2006 CBA, when, you know, there were five, six, seven teams that had cap space and there really have not been that many restrict free agents who, who get offer sheets. And this year, there will not be very many who do as well, especially if it's going to be more than the full mid-level exception, which starts at about $8.4 million this off season. So you'd have to say that, yeah, you know, there's going to be a lot of qualifying offers, but generally that wasn't something that was utilized. There may be a thought that, hey, 2019 is going to be a little bit less restrictive and therefore, you know, I want to just become an unrestricted free agent. But the history of guys taking the qualifying offer and then getting big deals is not really a great one. We saw it with Ben Gordon uh, and that didn't work out very well for him. I mean, can you think of any other guys who took the qualifying offer and then got big deals? Uh, Alex Le- Greg Monroe. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, he, he got a max deal. Um, But but he also, it's worth noting, you know, there it was in a situation where they also had Josh Smith and Andre Drummond at the same time and he couldn't realize he couldn't play with Andre Drummond and Drummond was the future. So I think he he really, really wanted out of there. Yeah, he was a special yeah. and, and situation. David Falk is an extremely aggressive agent. By the way, you, you remember how Monroe could have gotten a four-year max deal from the Bucks, and he was they were really aggressive. They're like, no, the cap's going up. We're going to just go for a two plus one. Yeah, he's probably going to wish that he had get, taken that four-year max because uh, he could have been making almost $20 million next year, and uh, he will not be approaching that next And while he would have helped the Bucks, you know, I, I think they did. There have been moments this year where they've missed him, though the trade was absolutely a good one from their perspective. They got really helped by that just because of the reality of their luxury tax bill, and we can go through that. But so in, in terms of, it is a real risk here because it's not like these players are coming out to a bonanza. This is not going, 2019 is going to be better than 2018 for a lot of teams, but it is not going to be ridiculous. And depending on how some of these teams spend, some of the big teams could be out of it. I mean, the Lakers, most notable among them, we don't yeah. know exactly what direction they're going to go. So Marcus Smart, let's say, so like Marcus Smart, is probably not going to get an offer yeah. that he's happy with this year. But A, he's going to be taking a lot less money, you know, on a one-year deal with serious risk involved there. But he's not going to be coming out into a market where he's going to be getting, you know, his full, necessarily his full value just because, or what he perceives to be his full value, especially. And Nerlens Noel should be a good kind of test case yeah, for that. Yeah. And remember, Marcus Smart will be playing next year, presumably, on a Cel- on the Celtics when Gordon Hayward is healthy. And he will pre- 
presumably be marginalized more than he has been this year and we'll see whether the celtics have another big draft pick coming in or not depending on what happens with that lakers pick looking pretty likely now that that's going to go to philly and it'll roll over to 2019 but the lakers could maybe get in the top three in the lottery in case uh if it's two or three it would go to boston if it's number one overall it would stay with philly but and also the other thing to remember too is if you take the qualifying offer guys who take the qualifying offer almost never come back the next year i can't think of a single time where a guy has taken the qualifying offer and then re-signed with bird rice afterwards i mean that was the noise that that might happen with noel uh but then he's had this lost year we'll see if he can salvage it here in this last month and a half or so but nonetheless so you're trying to rebuild your value on a team that knows that you're not going to be there long term especially if you're on a team that falls out of things and remember that you can't really be traded because if you get traded you lose your bird rights right that's the problem too and bird rights are are much more important in this current cap environment um so i don't think it's going to happen that much and i also think that we've talked about this a lot of times that whether it's extension whether it's restricted free agency agents don't like to have what is deemed to be a below market contract on their resume in many ways is more damaging for agents to get their guy a sizable contract which he then outperforms than it is to just not get their guy anything and then his market value declines and then they end up just kind of blowing it because you know that's not out there no one knows that for sure whereas hey i got you this contract it's under market that's what really pisses guys off more than anything so the agent incentives are not aligned here uh so maybe we could see more qualifying offers get taken but i think ultimately when teams teams might be able to squeeze guys for you know a couple million bucks below their market value but generally if it's a guy that they really want to have around they'll acquiesce and give the guy a deal that's like semi close to the market at least and it's only the guys who are just completely insane about it who are going to take the qualifying off Nerlens Noel. that's right um, uh all right here, here we go this is a good one from uh, jay ratkowski it sounds like focusing on analysis was a deliberate choice for you guys but i'm just curious if talent buried entry contacts etc were all equal would you have gone a different route like maybe be a newsbreaker like stein or Woj or a beat reporter or write mostly long form or or, or something else in, in terms of your basketball media career i would have been and would be absolutely terrible at what stein oh, Woj, shams do and i've i've known i've known shams for years that, you'd just be it is miserable. a really big grind but i am not sociable in that way i i don't as nate knows i don't interrupt other people's conversations <laughs> i don't i don't particularly enjoy i enjoy being introduced to people but i don't particularly i don't always i hate uh, the way i phrased this before is i hate like the first 30 seconds of a lot of that kind of stuff so i would be absolutely abysmal at that job i have a massive appreciation of long form writing because i've dabbled with it before and just i'm not as good at it that's why i was so happy that my book is more it's more a series of short form things i think that was a lot more logical and when they came to me with the idea why i grasped onto it so firmly was because it fit within my skill set though i did enjoy that process quite a bit and being a beat writer is a different kind of grind than what we do but i much prefer the one that we have to that and i also feel like there are fewer people who are doing what we do and so i appreciate the special the speciality but i i love what we do like it, i i sometimes i talk to people and they're like really like you you spend like they ask about my time commitments and all that and they're like you spend that much time with it and it's like yeah but i love what i do and having that sense of the entire league is something that i really no, value you, you're completely saying the way you work like you're you like outstrip even me even i need every once in a while like some time to decompress or something like you're just like whatever we talk to like oh yeah you know I, you want to do a pod all right let's do it like i, I got time yeah i'm writing a book it's okay <laughs> i already did our po- i already did our point guard rankings for for wednesday <laughs> <laughs> all 
Um, but for me, this show is exactly what I want to be doing. I mean, that's just like, I don't have a boss. We can do whatever you and I decide we want to do as a topic. We're lucky enough that people seem to actually agree with us when we decide that things are interesting, that they also think so. You know, it's not just, hey, this is a boring topic. Don't do this. Uh, if there are any of our pods that you think are boring, please let us know. We could not do them anymore. Um, but, and to be a newsbreaker, so much of that is just managing sources and quid pro quo and I better make sure I don't piss anyone off with what I write I mean that's like having to just like watch what I say constantly to make sure that like I'm getting the message out there that my sources want that I kind of you know that's sort of part of the quid pro quo for getting the information that's like I could never do that you know I mean I it's just it causes too much cognitive dissonance for me to not be able to say what I think and that would be the same problem when you know if I had an editor who was assigning topics to me that I thought were really dumb like I don't have to do that right now like being our own boss is great and that's why we just love uh, our listeners and supporters so much to enable us to do what we do and not have bosses i mean that's just like the greatest thing and one great way to support us doing that is to listen to the rest of this through our patreon this was actually technically speaking our february episode that that the rest of this will be on so you can check that out uh, patreon.com slash duncan larue and then we will have a march one later on questions asked by and answered for patreon subscribers along with all the other stuff we did that we talked about before all right thanks a lot everyone talk to y'all next time at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.